0: Season 1, Episode 9. Welcome to Forever Break Podcast. Now, still recovering from that Malaysian street food saga. Here are your hosts, Leanne and Corey.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the Forever Break Podcast. We're so excited to have you here for our Season 1 about mindfulness. Today's episode, we're going to be looking at mindfulness about food. And thank you to the Mr. VoiceOver guy who's introducing us.
0: Huh? I don't understand your palmy accent.
1: Typical Americans, huh?
0: We don't know much about accents, Mm. but what we don't know about accents, we make up for knowing about America. All right, so on today's pod, we're going to be delving into the beating heart of nutrition, covering topics from what you should put into your gut and why, to busting popular diet myths.
1: And then we're gonna be looking at some microbiome. What is gut flora and how do we get more? Please sir, can we have some more? Oliver Twist? Exactly, good
0: job. Hey, I didn't know, it's in my notes. Thinking with your stomach, the link between the gut and the brain and how gut problems can be an influence to your mental state. Also money versus health, talking about how to affordably be healthier and the corruption within food associations, meaning we are not necessarily eating what we think we are.
1: And we've all heard of the terms, GMO, GM crops, pesticides, but what does it all actually mean? We're just gonna give you a quick rundown of what these things mean to us regular average Joe folk.
0: And we have the distinct pleasure to be talking with mindful eating expert and PhD health psychologist, Dr. Lynn Rossi. We're going to be discussing her works and how you can have a better relationship with food. It was a truly interesting um, interview and she just had so much to offer in terms of just thinking about eating in general.
1: Yeah, 100%. So everybody, enjoy.
0: Quick quote. All you need is love, but a little chocolate now and then doesn't hurt. By Charles M. Schulz.
1: And he was not wrong either because chocolate that's really good for me.
0: We have varying opinions on chocolate, but you know my my affiliation is with milk chocolate.
1: I just like all chocolate. Throw it all on me. Cover me in chocolate. Lather me in chocolate.
0: Focus on. All right, so let's focus a little bit on. Um, food, nutrition, and all that's in between. The definition of nutrition is the process of providing or obtaining the food necessary for health and growth. I'm wondering, Leanne, what does nutrition mean to you? Because you've become a little bit more and more into it every day, the more that I keep getting to know you.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's less things for me to be distracted by right now. So I think nutrition's is taking like the, the forefront, mm-hmm. beside the, aside from the podcast, of course. Um, but I guess for me, nutrition, I always thought it meant health. I mean, I knew the definition meant food, but I actually thought that, that just meant to be health and getting as much health and as, as much substance and vitamins and etc, cetera, etc cetera, from your food.
0: Yeah, for me, it's just been food was always just like getting from A to B. I never really took too much, I always just thought like I'm gonna exercise enough to be able to eat what I want when I want and I've kind of stuck with that but as you get older as I'm kind of slipping into some gray hairs um, you start to like realize now you should really pay attention a little bit more to what you're actually putting into your body so thankfully I have been doing that a little bit more recently and a big shout out to Leanne for helping me with that because she seems to be very mindful of what she's putting into her body.
1: You need to keep up with me. I'm a youngin', you know?
0: Yeah, well, also you've got the old IBS. Yeah. And so you really got a to watch chestnut. out what you're putting in for it. With food being so readily available in supermarkets, we don't really give our eating habits as much thought as we should. We need to be mindful about what we eat and how we eat. From the amount of time we spend chewing to multitasking at the dinner table, and what impact it really has. I mean, how many Sounds times like are you lot. just sitting there on your phone while you're eating and all of a sudden it's gone and you're like, do you even really wonder what your food tasted like? Yeah, are you right. really sitting there enjoying it? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about is just like enjoy that pleasure that goes into eating.
1: Yeah, and that's something that Dr. Lynn is very much an advocate of. She's very much saying live in the moment enjoy all of your food as you will hear. But before we get there... The idea of nutrition brings us to the importance of gut flora. So in case you just have no idea what this means, basically we have both good and bad bacteria in our stomachs. So imagine your stomach is a garden and certain foods are like a sprinkle of water on the flowers that in turn helps them grow. But other foods feed the bad bacteria, making the ratio of bad to good higher. So little ways that we can do this is to incorporate foods that have probiotics in them so things like sauerkraut or you can do what i do i take a prebiotic and a probiotic so a prebiotic is basically food for good bacteria in your gut and the probiotic contains strains of the bacteria so it just ups the amount of good bacteria you have i mean for me personally it works i, I was always kind of uh, sheepish about it i never really thought it was gonna work mm-hmm. And um, yeah, honestly, so this trip that we just went on, it was seven months through India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, some of the places you kind of assume that you're gonna get really sick. Not fully trusting the food. Exactly, and this was the first time in any trip, and I'm talking even through Europe and Western countries, even Canada, America, that I did not get sick. And that was more
0: the probiotic regime you think you were on?
1: I think so, yeah, because I was taking a real high count. I I got some really good um, product that I had really good reviews on. And yeah, it was like the difference was tenfold.
0: Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I don't think people think about, but it's becoming more and more um, researched in in today's world, are the relationship between gut and mental health. So there's new studies being conducted in regards to how our microbiome can influence our mental health. Studies have shown that there is a correlation between depression and imbalanced gut flora, all related to the stress response and cortisol release. People suffering from depression also have excessive cortisol releasement. Fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah, you just never would have thought, right? Your stomach is that is in control of your brain, actually, not the other way around.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's dig deeper.
1: Yes, let's dig deeper. So, GM crops are genetically modified crops. This is where modern genetic engineering methods modify the DNA of plants to do a function that does not naturally occur. For example, resistance to diseases and pests, reduction of spoilage. However, there is a debate about the use of GM crops, and they are banned in 36 countries, 19 of them being European, due to concerns over environmental changes where the GM crops can damage the ecosystem through crossbreeding with related crops.
0: Yeah, the argument has been that there hasn't been enough testing on the effect of GM foods on humans. but even if if we aren't eating GM crops, the animals we eat are. We are still ingesting the GM foods.
1: Pesticides are used on, um, on a crop to deter insects, etc. But the effects on humans can be really damaging. Pesticide residue is often found in food and it's most common in developing countries.
0: Yeah, major environmental damage comes from pesticides, not only remaining in the soil and water for years, but also to the animals who come into contact with it. Um, Bees are so important to our planet, and they become endangered because of pesticides in the past. Thankfully, they aren't on the endangered list anymore. I can speak to this just kind of from my childhood to now. Um, There was a lake in Wisconsin that we used to go to that my Mm -hmm. mom's parents had this small little rinky-dink cabin on that we would go and get on the boat and just kind of cruise along the lake. And now you're seeing less and less people fishing it, recreating in it, just because all the farms that surround it, all of the stuff that they have when it rains, dumps into the lake. And now the lake isn't blue, it's not clear, it's literally like this really dark green color. And it just has absolutely no appeal. And I would imagine that a lot of the um, fish life in there is really suffering, too. So it's things that you can witness happening through your life. So just something to be good and cognizant of.
1: And pesticides and antibiotics and these kind of things are all examples of things that help bad flora flourish in your gut.
0: And so another thing that's kind of an aspect with all of this is money versus health. There's corruption in governing bodies to what we think is nutritious in the supermarket, but it is actually not at all. The FDA actually faces criticism regarding health standards for food in the U.S. compared with the European standards. I think that if you've traveled through Europe and the U.S., you have um, probably seen that. We just tend to have a lot more stuff that's non-perishable. Yeah, it lasts forever, but also it's not healthy at all. So there have been rumors of corruption and proof of payment settlements from pharmaceutical companies to the members of the FDA, Remember, if certain food can encourage diseases, the pharmaceutical companies are going to get more customers. It's this vicious circle. So the cost of healthy food appear to be way more, at, you know, at the checkout line, but a Harvard study actually shows that a healthier diet is around $1.50 more per day. So it's really not that much. And if you're considering some of the medical problems that eating poor food might create in the future, it is probably saving you money.
1: And if you think you're brave enough to be a whistleblower in the U.S., you could actually end up in jail for being honest because of ag-gag
0: laws. Agriculture gag laws, guys. Look it up. It is pretty stunning what goes on with that. But we like to try and keep things positive, and our interview today is going to try and help us with that and just help us all be a little bit more mindful with what we're eating. So, let's move on. Interesting interview.
1: So, today we have with us Miss Lynn Rossi, PhD. Lynn is a health psychologist, author, researcher, and Kripalu yoga teacher. She specializes in mindfulness-based interventions for eating, stress, and workplace wellness. And we are going to pick her brains on all things health. All right, well, we're going to start off with a light question because we uh, had a little read through your website, so like with our introduction just there, and we read that you love to spontaneously burst into song and dance no matter where you are, and we love it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I have a question. Where's the most memorable place you've done this and how does it make you feel?
2: Well, so I couldn't think of a... I can't think of a memorable place because I do it so often. Uh, My husband and I kind of (laughs) like... We make up songs. You know, like we have... We start talking and instead of talking, we sing to each other and none of us can... Neither one of us can uh, sing well. So don't ask me to sing. But um, (laughs) the dancing... The dancing is really something that I just do spontaneously when I hear music at the grocery store or when I'm shopping or you name it. Um, And if there's no music, sometimes I'll just make up my own song.
1: I love it. It probably puts a smile on everyone's face. That was my exact
0: thought is that if I'm walking down the aisle looking for some veggies and all of a sudden someone is just going at it, I would just. You couldn't help but (laughs) smile at that. So good work.
2: Well, Um, I get smiles, I get strange looks once in a while. I also like to do yoga in the grocery store. That's my that's one one of my favorites as well. (laughs) I mean you can do the tree standing in line, right? So you're standing in line, you're waiting for the checkout, and you go into the tree. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Multitasking at its finest. Well
0: nowadays there's so much space between us and the lines, you can probably do whatever pose you want.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um,
0: So you are a health psychologist. Um, Can you summarize for our audience and us what that means um, for anyone like us who isn't fully aware?
2: Well, so my degree is actually in clinical psychology, uh, but I had a health focus. Uh, I started out doing research on things like chronic pain and heart rate variability. And um, then I went and worked for the wellness program at the University of Missouri, And looked at, you know, the effects of stress, uh, the the effects of physical inactivity, uh, looked at eating issues and smoking. And so health related uh, issues that people have that affect uh, their mental well-being as well as their physical well-being.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Interesting. And I was going to say, that kind of leads us in with um, a relationship with food, especially, I think, um, in the States here, there's quite a big, there's a lot of studies and stuff with the relationships of food. And what are some common unhealthy patterns that you see most in your line of work? And why are people stuck in those unhealthy patterns?
2: (laughs) Well, we all get stuck in those, right? It's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Um, So... My main career uh, focus right now is on mindful eating. And so there's a number mm-hmm. of reasons, of course, why people get stuck in behaviors that maybe aren't in their own best interest. Um, and one of the biggest ones is we get hijacked by our emotions. Uh, so when we're feeling like angry or stressed or lonely or overwhelmed, our uh, brains are engaged in what's called the fight or flight response. So when we're in the fight-or-flight response, um, that was a response that was a developer that we have in our bodies to help us, uh, you know, run from our enemies, uh, or battle our enemies. Uh, but that doesn't work very well in today's world, you know. So um, it, what it means is that our brain's capacity for decision-making and problem-solving and creativity is really not working as well. The, the body is is really prepared to fight or flee, which is not a response that we have Mm -hmm. when we're feeling overwhelmed in the world today. So we engage in behaviors that make us feel better in the short term um, as opposed to to the long term. So you might be overwhelmed so you reach for food or you might feel stressed so you go online and do some shopping. Um, Or you might reach for a drink or you might do all kinds of different things. And the reason that we get stuck in these behaviors is because there's a payoff, right? Because they do make us feel better in the short term, right? And so we're rewarded with feeling better and the brain registers that. And so the next time we feel bad, the brain says, oh, you know, go eat that. Brownie, you felt better last time, yeah. right? So, uh, it forgets the first consequences later on. So, but the behavior itself is kind of self-perpetuating.
1: Yeah. And I think we've all been victim. At least I can speak for myself where I felt down and I've reached for that bucket of ice cream and I felt great. And then the next morning I've been like, oh crap, I've got to go do some (laughs)
0: exercise or something. (laughs) I I was going to ask you a question just in regards, in relation to that. And now with um, this quarantine, because we were having a discussion the other day, which was not so much regarding food specifically, but wine. (laughs) <laughs> and we've been just like we had this conversation about um, how we've just kind of every day now will like five o'clock or roll around and be like, well, maybe we should have a glass of wine. And it's the original thought behind it was, well, we're in quarantine like this is just kind of a quarantine routine. And I think as we don't know how long this type of thing is going to go on, all of a sudden it's like six months. And maybe some people are developing these quarantine habits that maybe they could um They might find once they break free from the quarantine, whenever that might be, that they can't shed the habit. And I'm wondering if you have any uh, just kind of perspective into that kind of thought process.
2: Well, sure. Anything that we do over and over again, you know, becomes a habit and habits become hard to break. Right. So you're training your mind. You actually are building neural pathways to say at five o'clock, I'm going to pick up a glass of wine, mm-hmm. right? And so you could build a neural pathway that says at five o'clock, I go for a walk around the block. Yep, you know, so it just depends on what kind of pathway that you're developing. So, in order to change the habit, uh, my this is where mindfulness comes in. So, mindfulness is actually uh, the pause between the that's activating the behavior let's say five (laughs) o'clock or you know feeling stressed or whatever it is and then the subsequent behavior there's a space in there it's not a very big space sometimes but with mindfulness practice which is we haven't talked about mindfulness yet but mindfulness is really about being in the present moment on purpose and without judgment it's just this curious like interested uh, a awareness that says, what's going on here? Yeah. Oh, it's five o'clock. You know, I guess I'm going to have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Or, or do I really want a glass of wine? It gives you a chance to actually consider what it is that you're doing and consider also the things that have happened in the past when you've had the glass of wine. Maybe it made you feel good. Maybe it didn't make you feel good. Mm -hmm. Maybe it made you feel good for a little while. And then the next morning, you know, you notice you didn't sleep as well the night before. And you have that little Mm -hmm. kind of headache thing you wake up with in the morning, you know. So you begin Mm -hmm. to be able to pull in more information about your decision. And you give yourself enough time to pause and relax. And when you take, take that pause and relax... You're actually activating the parts of your brain that make better decisions, Hmm. Hmm. right? So it's when we react to things without thinking, which happens a lot, Mm -hmm. um, that we go into habitual patterns. But again, when we practice mindfulness, we stop and we pause and we really notice Like, why am I being pulled to that? Is that what I really want? Or is is something else what I really want? And maybe it is the glass of wine. I don't know. It might be, maybe I want to do something different today. And you have the choice to make a different decision when you slow down and take that mindfulness pause. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, I think the key to this and what it sounds like you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's obviously something that you know with time and practice you can develop that skill of being mindful and then sort of you instead of just having the decision come and then you just react to it initially you just kind of step back from it the thought comes into your mind you wonder where did that thought come from what does it mean and then you kind of get more of an active um decision making process of the choice that you're making versus just reacting to a thought right off the bat
2: Right, because that's the other thing that gets us into trouble is these thoughts that we have. (laughs) (laughs) Because thoughts are conditioned, right? And so we have lots of thoughts. We tell ourselves lots of stories. And one of the other, you know, issues that people have, besides the emotions that can hijack us, is the thoughts that can hijack us. And thoughts and emotions are related. Um, You know, if you have an emotion of let's say anger it's because you're having a thought about something that made you angry Mm -hmm. um so we have to also really pay attention to what am i telling myself Mm -hmm. oh i really need this glass of wine oh it's really going to make me feel better oh you know blah 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 yeah it's like and those thoughts are not necessarily actually most of the time they are not facts Mm -hmm. so we have to be really careful about listening to our thoughts because they're often just distortions. Mm -hmm. And they're stories that we've made uh, up based on so many different things, but uh, not listening to them as fact is a really helpful skill because then we can go, okay, is that really true? Uh, Or is there another way of looking at this? So when we're talking about this quarantine situation, one of the things that I've noticed is actually I have more time to engage in behaviors that have been very restorative Mm -hmm. um and I I guess I haven't heard as much about that but I have more time to meditate I have more time to do yoga I can you know take online classes at times I couldn't take them before um I can take a break and go walk around the block and I don't have a boss you know breathing over my uh, over my head even though I I work for myself anyway, but yeah. you know what I mean. It's yeah. like a lot of people that had to go into the office, they have more flexibility now. Yeah. I mean, of course there's other things like children that you have to take care of and you know all these other different things that people are going through. Mm-hmm. But I think that we can also think about, you know, don't we have a little bit more opportunity To engage in some behaviors that we might want to carry into the time after quarantine, like we cook more for ourselves. Yeah, we agree. You know, and how is that going? How can we make that fun? See, I'm all about making everything fun. Okay. I I want it to be fun. I want it to be joyful. I want it to be pleasurable. So how Mm -hmm. can we make this time as, you know, as a way of exploring maybe different Food cultures are—we're going coming into spring. There's all kinds of wonderful new vegetables that are being, you know, coming up out of the ground that taste so great. So, anyway, I like to kind of shift it into how can we see this as a time when we can maybe do things in a way that we do want to carry into yeah. the time after quarantine. Yeah. Think about the ways that we're connecting—you know, even the ways that we're connecting with one another. Yep. Um, I've just found like there's a deeper connection with family and friends because I have more time to do it. Yeah,
0: it's really true. And I think that that's it. It's creating those healthy habits. I, one of the things that you kind of mentioned in there was, um, you know, expanding that uh, your range of what you're cooking and stuff, which kind of leads into the next question of we notice you're part of the international slow food movement. Can you just give us a little bit more info about what that is?
2: Right. So the, the Slow Food Movement is an international organization that was started in Italy uh, back in 1989 uh, to really help um, support local food cultures and traditions. And it it started, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, There was a man who was Italian uh, in Rome, and he saw that they wanted to build a McDonald's next to the Spanish steps in Rome. And he was pretty horrified by that. Yeah, I'm horrified (laughs) as well. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, there's McDonald's everywhere, so why not next to the Spanish steps? But I can see, you know, that it was something that just made him think, you know, what's happening to our culture? Because yeah. Italians have such a great food culture. Yeah. So it was partly about counteracting the rise of fast food and a fast life. But really more broadly, it's about helping people to have more of an interest in the food that they eat yeah. and knowing where it comes from and knowing how their food choices affect the world around them. Yeah. So in my in my mindful eating classes and in my book, um, I have a concept called becoming a conscious connoisseur, which is kind of similar to what they're doing with the slow food movement. So there's two parts to that. One is becoming conscious about, you know, what you're eating, when you're eating, why you're eating, and how you're eating. And so um, you're aware of the food choices that you make. Um, you're also becoming more conscious about uh the food and where it comes from and how those choices do affect your community, the environment. Um, Every, I love the quote by Wendell Berry, who is is a writer, a food activist, and he said that, you know, every, that eating is an agricultural act, right? And I would say it's a spiritual act and it's a political act and it's an environmental act. Yeah. Um I get very passionate about this. So. Yeah, yeah, no 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 it's good. But I just think that that eating every time you put a biting a bite of food in your mouth says something about how awake you are, how mm-hmm. conscious you are, uh, and about how loving and kind you are to yourself and to the rest of the world. Yeah, um, And then, of course, becoming an honest is about pleasure. You know, here we go. I go back to pleasure again. Yeah. But it's about taking the time to really decide what do I want to eat? What does my body want right now? You know, what is it I really would like and what would satisfy me? And to be present for that experience and really use eating as a time of pleasure, a time of, you know, sharing pleasure and exploring the world of food because there's so much pleasure Uh, in eating and we have an opportunity to do that every day.
1: Yeah Yeah. exactly that's one of our favorite parts of traveling is trying all the new foods and like Ah. learning all about the local um, delicacies and things like that and I guess um, obviously you're talking about all of the impacts that your diet has which is completely threefold um, not only to the environment and all the external stuff but also it can have such an impact on your your mental state and your physical state. So In your line of work, do you often see a correlation between diet and mental health?
2: So I don't, it's an interesting question. I don't look at diet specifically as it Mm -hmm. relates to mental health in my work with clients. And the reason that I don't is because Mm -hmm. I focus on helping people discover for themselves what food they really want to eat. Both because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, tastes good, But also because it's nourishing to their bodies, and so there's research that shows that when people become more mindful, right? When when they become more mindful eaters, that their desire for healthier food, you know, food that's less processed, becomes greater. Yeah. But they don't do that because somebody told them to do it. Because they want to. They do do it because they discovered for themselves it feels better yeah yeah
1: right I, I do, and so um you go, yeah, go ahead <laughs> I was just about to say I do I was gonna say even just with us two um with our researching for this episode we went into so much detail on what you're actually putting in your bodies and we actually came out of it last week and we we're like "Whoa, well, we're gonna um, start doing more plant-based stuff you know for the majority of the week we're gonna start trying to be more plant-based and just more mindful of just just what we were eating and I think you know that really correlates with what you're saying because um, we were just researching it, you know? And not
0: so much just flipping the switch and going a completely different diet, because I think that's what might happen to a lot of people as they hit these unrealistic um, goals or they just try and make these major shifts. But we were like, okay, well, let's try and ease into this and maybe, you know, as we're getting older, we can generate just some healthier habits. And then some of these aches and pains that we have, um, maybe just kind of being low energy because we're not doing as much during quarantine and stuff like that. Maybe we can boost it during that, but just like, why not? Let's try something new and see how we feel.
2: Right. Because when you, when you really notice, wow, I feel good when I do this, I don't feel good when I do this Mm -hmm. other thing. And then get people to kind of question, well, then isn't it interesting that you keep going back and doing the thing that makes you feel bad? Yeah. I mean, because really people do this. Right? Yeah. Um, so I know I had this one woman who said, I, you know, when I eat all this big plate of pasta, you know, I really want the pasta, but I feel really bad. And I think I'm even, you know, I have some allergies to it. And mm-hmm. and then when I eat a whole bunch of vegetables, man, I feel so great. Uh, I said, well, isn't, you know, I mean, isn't that interesting? So you just start to begin to have a conversation like, so you feel bad when you have the pasta <laughs> and you feel yeah. really good when you have the vegetables. So what keeps you going back, you know? And yeah. so getting people to really examine, you know, um, we don't want to take away your pleasure and you don't have to eat all vegetables all your life. But are there other ways that you can find pleasure that that don't make you really sick, you know? Yeah or you can make a conscious choice to go ahead and be sick. And that is your, that is your, a choice that you can make, but you want to make it with awareness. You want to make it, you know, when you're being conscious about your decisions and, and people gradually see that and they go, Oh yeah. You know, why am I, why am I doing that? That doesn't really feel good. So they begin to just automatically, uh, gradually over time, um, shift their diet. I have to tell you, one of the most profound things I hear from people when they first come to my classes and start to really pay attention to the taste of their food, that people aren't really tasting their food much of the time. I had one person who said, I don't like anything that I eat. I just hadn't noticed before. Oh,
1: wow. (laughs) Oh, no.
2: (laughs) I mean, that's profound. But I've heard versions of that story. Yeah because we're not paying attention. I mean, we're just half the time, and there's good research that backs this up, is that about half the time, we're not living in the present moment. So if we're half the time not living in the present moment, we're not tasting, Mm. right? And so think about all these different things that you do when you're eating. You're watching TV, you're on your computer, you're on your phone, you're talking to somebody else, you're you know, on and on and on it goes. So your mind can't be in two places at once. So really learning through taking your total attention to eating and tasting can teach you many things that you hadn't noticed before.
0: Yeah. You know, interestingly, one of the things that um, with this whole mindfulness theme of, of this season of the podcast that we're that we're focusing on here is. Uh, like you're one of the first people that we've talked to that's talked about mindfulness with food we've talked to some people about different exercise things and definitely yoga is something where you go into a yoga class the teacher says let's just try and be mindful of where we are today let's try and set our intention and i guess i would want to ask you outside of jumping into random yoga um poses in the checkout line at the grocery store. How else might your yoga practice relate to mindful eating?
2: (laughs) Uh, Well, so I do teach uh, mindful yoga in my mindful eating classes because of a lot of reasons. I think it helps people get embodied. I think a lot of us are not embodied. We don't feel our bodies. We're in our heads, most of the time, lost in thought. And so yoga is this beautiful way of helping people feel embodied and begin to tap into their signals of hunger and fullness and so many other things, thirst. Um, And there's been a growing body of research that shows that a yoga practice supports people in having a kinder relationship Their bodies, and we know that if you're, you know, if you have a kinder relationship, you're going to treat it better, feed it better. But we also have seen that it significantly decreases the risk for eating disorder, um, decreases binge eating, increases your ability to regulate your emotions, right? Um, Increases self compassion. And so there's yeah, well. just a lot of reasons to include it into a mindful eating program. And I I love teaching beginners. Okay, so I've taught beginners um, yoga for many, many, many years. And uh, before this class, I taught the mindfulness-based stress reduction program and taught yoga in that. And there's nothing more beautiful than showing someone who doesn't think they can do yoga just how delicious it feels, because you know, it's, about, yeah. it's not about
0: <laughs> delicious. Yeah. It feels, I like that
2: <laughs> because it does feel delicious, and I always the <laughs> to do what feels delicious. We don't want to move into pain. We don't want to move into injury, which is you know what some people do. We live in a culture that just pushes too hard, so a lot of the instruction is to you know back off a little, you know mm-hmm. move in away, listen to your body. Move in a way that, you know, is supportive, that feels, oh, I'm just reaching my hands over my head right now. You know, and that's all you have to do to kind of get this uplifted yeah. sense of your body and a deeper breath. Right. And so doing gentle, simple mm-hmm. movements as a way of beginning to get people engaged and to, to really feel like they can move their bodies um, in ways that feel good to them. That's just, a, that's just wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um,
1: moving back towards food. So you have a program called the Eat for Life. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, so I, um, I developed the Eat for Life program when I was still working at the University of Missouri. Um, and I started mm-hmm. out um, teaching it to faculty and staff there. And it teaches the skill of mindfulness and self-compassion and body appreciation, which is at the foundation of the program. And it also includes aspects of intuitive eating, which is eating based mainly on physical hunger cues, as opposed to emotional cues or what's called environmental cues. That means that you you eat because there's food sitting around. Um, so yeah, I, I'm definitely I, guilty of that. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right, because we're not paying attention, right? So we're not paying attention. So if food is within yeah. within hands' reach, we're going to have it in our mouth before you know it. But the research that I conducted on yeah. my Eat for Life program showed that people that went through it, compared to a, a control group, de- decreased binge eating. Um, they increased their body image um, and they increased mindfulness and increased in intuitive eating. Um, Basically, I'm looking at Mm. mindfulness as it relates to our body, to our thoughts and to our emotions and really help people develop that skill through formal practices of meditation and yoga and what's called body scan so that you can then take the skill of mindfulness into your everyday life and use it when you're eating and use it when you're doing anything else that you do really. So while the class is focused primarily on mindful eating, it does end up impacting your entire life.
1: Yeah. And you bring in the the aspects of the physical things like the yoga and meditation, like you say. That's nice. That's
2: a good mix. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, you're obviously a very busy woman. You've also written a book called The Mindfulness-Based Eating Solution on top of the Eat for Life program. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired the creation of that book and um, how readers might be able to
2: benefit from it? Right, so I wrote my book really as a way of taking the concepts from my Eat for Life class um, and making it available to a larger audience. So I really use that book in my class as like the textbook, right so we go through the book in my class Uh, you can definitely um, start your mindful eating practice by reading the book and I have free meditations on my website Um, but it can also be really helpful to have a teacher so that's one of the things about mindfulness practice is just reading about it in a book is not enough you really have to have that Mm -hmm. experiential learning in order to uh, have it benefit you Uh, in the way that you're looking for so um, sometimes that can be I know there's lots of uh, apps out there right now with meditations that you can listen to and I have them on my website as well I also have actually some um, yoga videos on my website that people can use um, that I developed for my stress reduction class Uh, but um, again some people might find Beginning a mindfulness practice hard without a teacher, and there's a lot of different ways to get a teacher for mindfulness. And Googling can help you with that. Uh, but yeah. certainly, yeah. I teach my class on yeah, I teach my class online, uh, live two or three times a year. So there's always an opportunity to take my class as well because I teach people around the world. Oh, great. Awesome,
1: that's handy. That's a handy tool, especially right now, huh?
2: <laughs> yes, especially right now
1: awesome and you know you talked about uh, working with beginners and how much you enjoy that but what's some advice you have for any of our listeners who are listening to this interview and they're saying great I want to start doing this Uh, where do they start
2: oh well that's a that is a very good question again I think if you're interested in mindful eating um, my book is a good place to start so if you could pick that up Um, And start Mm -hmm. playing around with some short mindfulness meditations. Again, I have some on my website that I use in my class. They're free. You can download them. Mm -hmm. You can also go... I'm also the president of the Center for Mindful Eating. And um, current president anyway. And you Mm -hmm. can go to their website at TCME.org. And you can be a member of, of the the center or you can just engage in some of the webinars that we have uh, for a small fee. But we have decided about two years ago that we were going to shift our focus from just helping professionals and educating professionals to offering services to to the general public. So we have a whole Mm -hmm. um, line of webinars and meditations. I just did a meditation actually. Um, there's monthly meditations that you can engage in through the center for mindful eating where you get on zoom, you know, and you do a meditation together and you have a chance to ask questions and that kind of thing. I think somewhere where you can actually have interaction with a teacher, um, is going to be very helpful for someone when they're first getting started.
1: Completely. Does that little push is it, it? It really does it is is that little push to start off with and when you get demotivated you have someone to say, "Hey, come on, you're doing a great job. Like, let's carry on what I we're think doing." a lot of
0: people and like the
2: accountability Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, like I said, either my my website at lynnrossi.com or the Center for Mindful Eating, tcme.org, both have great resources.
0: Yeah, and I, we should just say that for for the listeners that we will be um, linking this in our show notes as always. So make sure to check this out, and we will um, have any and all information about Dr. Rossi in there for you guys and. So much to learn. This is such a unique field. I just think the mindfulness surrounding eating can just obviously have so many benefits over the lifetime. So great job explaining it to us layman's over here. (laughs) And thank you so much for your time. Yeah.
2: And I don't know if we have time for this, but I just want to add one little last thing.
0: Um,
2: And okay, so one of the confusions about mindful eating is that that means eating healthy. Okay, so mindful eating is not the same thing as eating healthy. Although, you know, you can eat, because here's the deal. So, those are different because healthy eating implies that some eating is good and other eating is bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it sets up that dichotomy. And this is one of the biggest problems that people end up having uh, when they come to a mindful eating practice with saying they have issues with eating. So, you can eat an apple mm-hmm. mindfully, but you can also eat uh, apple pie out of the oven with ice cream on top mindfully, right? So it's funny that people, when they see me and they know I teach mindful eating and people always police themselves when I'm around. So if they're eating dessert, they might say, oh, you know, don't look at me. I'm not eating mindfully. So there's this big misunderstanding about mindful eating in this regard, right? I teach people to pay attention to taste, to hunger, to fullness, to deliciousness, to energy, fatigue, desire as it relates to eating, but you pay attention without judgment and you eat without judgment, right? So you can have a wide range of food, whatever it is that you want, but you but you do it with kind, compassionate awareness. And so there's not anything that's forbidden, right? There's not, um, mm-hmm. it's not, mindful eating isn't a weight loss strategy, right? It's a strategy for eating In a way that you have freedom with food and you love your body. Yeah, no, no, that's good. I love that. I think that that. that's
0: really good. And I think that that is a confusing point for a lot of people because um, I think that this is the good place to start if you want to try and change your diet or start eating what you think might be healthier, obviously, because there's so many different opinions out there. Um, Well, you
1: listen to your specific bodily cues. It's not saying like, okay, if ice cream makes you feel really badly, then... Do you want to eat that again Mm -hmm. rather than eat the ice cream? If it doesn't make you feel badly, don't beat yourself up about it. Just think about what you're eating. Yeah,
0: I like it. Really just fascinating stuff. And I'm just I think that one of the things that um, just I keep reflecting on is that, like you said, we don't have to necessarily um, do this in in just like it's it's the kind of thing that you just kind of get over time it's not something where you flip the switch and all of a sudden you're a mindful eater no you've got to regularly practice it so if you just sign up for one of these meditations or one of these yoga classes or you right. just read one book that's probably not going to get you where you want to be but if you just say like i'm just going to do this consistently over time i can get to um where i want to be and what's the worst that's going to happen? Food's going to start tasting a little bit better for you. That's fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah. Yes>.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> I, <know> <laughs> because
0: I think it's really unique. And, um, I think that what you're doing is fantastic. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah. yeah, you're welcome.
0: Interview Digestion. Well, really amazing stuff with Lynn. I mean, it's something that I haven't really thought about because as Leanne knows very well, I eat...
1: Oh my god, he literally inhales his food.
0: And I have no reason for it. It wasn't like I had like a bunch of like older siblings that would eat it if I didn't eat it and (laughs) there was just chaos in the house. But I absolutely eat way too fast. I'm very aware of this and I want to try and get better, but I don't know. I blame you for cooking so nicely.
1: But Oh yeah, it's my fault, huh?
0: (laughs) So I think that that is something that I want to practice. I mean, when you sit down and you have a really delicious meal, What's wrong with just taking the time and savoring every bite?
1: Nothing, I do it. Yeah, I mean, you don't have
0: to do it at every meal. Like, sometimes you're going to be at, like, a more rushed lunch or something like that. But, I mean, not to the point where you're doing Meg Ryan and uh, When Harry Met Sally and just throwing out an orgasm at the table, but, you know. But, you know what,
1: if that puts a smile on your face, Lynn says, enjoy, (laughs) have some joy. If if your food's giving you an orgasm, you let everyone know. Yeah, savour the flavour.
0: Hot Tips with Leanne.
1: So, today's Hot Tips is going to be all about a kitchen swap. Just going to say six items that we're going to swap for healthier ones just to make your diet a bit more wholesome.
0: It's not that hard, guys. You just got to like educate yourselves a little bit.
1: So, we're just going to swap your regular yellow potato just out for a sweet potato. There's way more fiber, there's way more nutrients, and just make sure you keep the skin on because that's where all the good stuff comes from then that granola everyone loves granola but granola it's not good for you You it's a lot of sugar it's all full of sugar the the company's boasted it's got heaps of fiber but it doesn't it's got very limited fiber around the same that you get in a banana actually um so if you just swap out that regular granola for a handful of raw nuts so not salted or sweetened just raw cashews almonds walnuts they're really sweet naturally and it's just way healthier for you so if you did Check out the documentary What the Health. You're probably like us and we're really wanting to cut down your animal products. And we've got these great meat protein substitutes that we never had before. They were always a bit meh. But now you can get the Beyond Meat, which I love. You lower your carbon footprint and it tastes just like beef.
0: For me, with someone who is a lover of flesh meat addict I I thought I was (laughs) but when we went to India we talked about it beforehand and we said you know what that's probably the thing that would be the biggest risk to our guts so let's go vegetarian while we're there and I thought that it was going to be a lot bigger struggle than it was but it was nothing
1: cheese is a big one for me I love cheese But there is a little tip, a healthier, more nutritious one, if you just use nutritional yeast. So if you put this on your popcorn, you can put this on your stir-fries, it just gives it a little taste of cheese, but there's no fat really in it, so.
0: Really good stuff. There's also some vegan cheeses out there that you can try. Obviously they're probably not going to have the same flavor that you're used to, but
1: there's some really good stuff out there now compared to five years ago.
0: And I would say that one of the best pieces of advice that we got through that documentary, and it's just something that seems to be a habit of ours anyway, is to spend the majority of your time in a grocery store on the outer edges. Yeah, that is where most of your healthy stuff is. So we hope that you guys found this episode as useful as us. I think being mindful with what we're eating, how we're eating, and all the things that we're doing and putting into our bodies is very important because it's our fuel. And why would you put subpar fuel into your body unless you absolutely have to?
1: Exactly. Especially when you're getting as old as Corey.
0: Take it further.
1: So if you want to take it further and learn some more about nutrition and health and explore different diets that you can do, a good kickoff that we watched actually to research for this episode is What the Health. Uh, It's a documentary available on Netflix. It made us want to go plant-based, I'm not going to lie, but it was very informative. It gave us all the information you need to know if you're a dummy like us.
0: Fascinating stuff. I mean, just just watch it just to get educated on what is actually going on in the food industry because it is pretty wild, everything that happens. Um, Dr. Carolyn Leaf writes a book called Think and Eat Yourself Smart, and it's suited to anyone looking to learn more about their diet. We will give a plug to Dr. Michael Greger. He um, was all over the What the Health documentary, um, and he has a site called Nutrition Facts that you should definitely check out some of his stuff. He is very educated in this and brings a lot of good information for you to have.
1: Do you feel differently about what you're eating? Because I know I do after that. Thank you for joining us on that journey between mindfulness and food. There's definitely a lot for us all to take away there. And if you would like to learn some more about Dr. Lynn, you can visit lynnrossi.com, where she has all information about services she provides for both yoga and her Eat for Life and mindfulness workshops. And she's also got some really great blog posts on there as well, so check it out.
0: A lot of good information, and obviously, if you do see her at a grocery store doing some crazy yoga poses, Awesome for you. Join Take in. a picture, send it to us. Um, you can check out her book, The Mindfulness-Based Eating Solution, that has proven ways that you can be more satisfied with your food and not overeat. The book is available at Amazon, both paperback and digital, and also is available on Audible, and the audiobook is also available on Apple Books. On episode 10, which is our next episode, we will be looking at naturopathic medicine and healing. All right. You're up, voiceover guy. Thanks, Corey. Subscribe now to the Forever Break podcast on your favorite platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. If you enjoyed this episode, help us out and leave a five-star review. And remember, you can find all the juicy details discussed in this episode in the show notes at foreverbreak.com podcast.